0: I know some of you had a rough week. I know you did. And I tell you what, I don't know about you, but sometimes your rough week is your own fault. You know what I mean? You like to try to blame everybody else, but it just doesn't work all the time, you know? Sometimes it's your own fault. Sometimes it's its nothing to do with your own fault. It's just things happen to you. Um, let, let me let me just encourage you, and I mean this sincerely, Um when I, when I sit up front, um, th- th- there's there's two two main reasons really. One, it's real close to the stage; I don't have very far to walk when I can get up here. But secondly, I, I believe it's it's part of my responsibility to help lead us in worship, if you will. And so there are times when when I'll be just gut level honest with you. there have been weeks where I show up at church on Sunday morning, and I don't much feel like singing the songs that we're singing. Yeah, you know, I, I look at the words and I see them. And I either feel too down or I feel too hypocritical or I feel too whatever, you know what I'm talking about. But let me encourage you, whenever you show up on a Sunday morning, if you don't even feel like singing the words, number one, if you just need to be quiet before the Lord, that's fine. But there are times when we must make ourselves do what we don't feel like doing, simply put ourselves before the Lord and say, God, there's nothing in me this morning that feels like praising the Lord, but I'm going to do it anyway. I'm going to believe you anyway. And God, I will I will put myself before you anyway. I've mentioned this on a few occasions now recently, but the studies tell us most people come to church on a Sunday morning for one main reason, and that's to hear from God. We, we gather for a variety of reasons, of course, but the main reason that folks say is I want to hear something from God. And so I've, I really do believe that God can speak to you not only when I preach through his word, but as we sing together, God does something in our hearts. And so if you have had a really tough week, if you've had a tough year, if your whole life has been tough, then, then this morning we've got, we've got one more song that's coming up when I get done. And it's called It Is Well. And it's an old hymn that you may or may not know. But let me encourage you when, when we get done, if you can do nothing else, simply sing the words and say, God, I am going to praise you. I will declare my faith in you when I don't feel like doing it. And I can't say that something miraculous is going to happen and you're going to get little tinglies and all of that kind of stuff. I can't tell you that's going to happen, but I do know that God works through people who will praise his name even when they don't feel like it. God does something in your heart. When you put yourself before him. And so I'm encouraged every Sunday morning as I stand up front and I hear you singing. Simply because I know that many folks who are singing are simply doing so because I just have to do this. I'm putting myself before the Lord. So let me encourage you to do that. In just a moment we're going to turn to the Bible and we're going to see what God has to say to us through his word today. And I think very specifically God has something to say to certain individuals here and you probably don't even know what's coming. All right? So now you're nervous because I'm going to call you out by name this morning. No, I'm just joking. But God has something to say to you specifically, and I really do hope that that when we open the Bible this morning, that you'll be reading along and you'll be paying attention and say, God, what is it that you want to say to me this morning? So let's pray together. We're going to ask God to speak to our hearts, and then we'll look at the Scripture, okay? Uh, God, we, we do pray this morning that you would just very simply but profoundly speak to us. Lord, there are times when we don't feel like it. God, help us to choose to to praise you anyway, choose to trust you anyway. For we know that there are times when you take us through things that you don't reveal to us the end until much later. Confusing things, painful things. Lord, we trust that you are good, that you are the wonderful, merciful Savior, the one who loved us to the very end. So, God, this morning it is to you we turn to hear from you. We pray that you'd speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. There are, by the way, signs of the apocalypse all around us. I just want you to know there was another one last night. Last night, for the first time in 32 years, I'm telling you, the end is near. For the first time in 32 years, the University of Kentucky football team—they still have one. The University of Kentucky football team defeated the University of Florida's football team first time in 32 years. Some of you felt the ground shake. I know you did. I know you did. It knocked me out of bed. But I'm telling—signs of the apocalypse are here, and that's one of them. That, uh, it's somewhere written in Revelation that Kentucky will beat Florida, and that's that's it. And so I figured it up. By the way, the next time that it happens, 32 years from now. Um, my, my kids will be 49, 47, 42, and 39, which, which is, means I'm not going to be any of those ages. And so, so anyway, but man, you know, I, I, if the game had been played in Lexington last night, of course it was played at Gainesville. If it had been played in Lexington last night, I I have the feeling that one of the anthems that would have been ringing out through the stadium would have been Journey's Don't Stop Believing. <laughs> and man, they would just, don't stop believing. You know, for 32 seasons, all y'all crazy Kentucky fans have said, one day we're going to do it. And it happened last night, didn't it? Don't stop believing. You got to believe. I'd imagine that, that those football coaches leading up to that game told the guys, look, it's been 32 years. None of y'all were even born the last time this happened. None of you. None of you even thought of your Parents weren't even together at that point. But don't stop believing. It's interesting how things like that have such a crossover in our own lives. We're going to talk about that this morning. The theme of what we're discussing uh, comes from an episode, actually two different episodes wrapped up into one, that Jesus has, some encounters that he has, with some people who need healing, and ultimately what he's going to teach us is about faith. He's going to teach us how to not stop believing, and so if you've you've got your Bible handy, there's one there in the pew or the chair in front of you if you didn't bring one this morning and you want to follow along, or if your translation, your version is a little different from the one I'm using, you can grab that one. We're going to look at Luke chapter 8 this morning. And if you're just joining us, maybe maybe you haven't been with us uh, d- during this this year, or maybe it's been a while. We're in a, in a year long sermon series called Bible Stories You Thought You Knew. And what we're trying to look at in these is just what actually were the stories about? What was God really trying to teach us? A lot of times what happens is when we grow up and we go to Sunday school or we hear Bible stories or we hear maybe different people talk about the Bible, we don't understand that the Bible is not a set or a series of disconnected stories to teach us moral lessons. That's not what the Bible is. Now we can learn good moral lessons from the Bible, obviously, but that's not the point of the Bible. The point of the Bible is to show us who God is and what he has done on behalf of Half of sinful people to redeem us and to save us out of the power and the penalty of sin. And so it's one big story with little episodes all tied together. And so each of these points to something about what God has done, is doing, or will do, or something previewing Jesus or looking back on him. And so every Bible story that you read, read it through that filter. Not simply, well, that was a neat story. What does that teach me I should go do? Be a better person. That's not the point of the story. This morning we're going to see a story that i remember learning when i was a kid and and it was always kind of a, a an odd Interaction. it seemed that Jesus would have. And so we're going to look at this. And I I think this points to the kind of faith that Jesus wants from us and the kind of faith he rewards when it's demonstrated. So we're just going to go, by the way, verse by verse in this, and we're going to kind of pick each verse apart. And so we're going to start in Luke chapter eight, verse 40. and, And look here what it says. It says, when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him for they were all expecting him. Now stop there. As I said, just verse by verse here. If you want to make some notes, you can. By this time in, in, his ministry Jesus, his reputation, his popularity have grown. He's he's becoming a well-known figure. Uh, His teaching is being talked about. The the miracles that he has done are are widely known now. And his care for those who would otherwise be outcast is becoming very obvious. Luke's gospel is, it it highlights what, what one of my seminary professors called the great reversal, which is Jesus shows up and he reverses everything that society valued. He turns it all on its ear. You see Jesus in this uh, particular book reversing the cultural norms. He spends time talking to people who were not valued in that society. And so he, he, he elevates the status and the, and, and the, the value of women and, and, and the, the lepers and those who were lame and, and those who had nothing to offer Jesus in that sense. He elevates them and increases and shows their real value. And he even is going to claim authority over religious leaders. And so that's what we've got in the Gospel of Luke. It says now, by this, when Jesus returned, what he's just done in chapter 8 is he's been on the boat with the disciples and he's calmed the wind and the waves. And they're astonished. And then he meets a man who was possessed by a bunch of demons. And if you, if you happen to know this particular Bible story, Jesus casts out these demons and sends them into a herd of pigs, and they cascade over, over a, a cliff. I would have loved to have seen that, by the way. Now, I'm not, you know, some of you are animal lovers, and I get that. But that, anyway, it's a good sausage after it's over. So anyway, <coughs> sorry. Um, but anyway, so that's where he's just come from. So, man, his reputation, whoa, this guy is something else. So he returns to the town, and guess what? They're, they're waiting for him. They're expecting him, and they're expecting him to do some more great things, astounding things, things that, that that are just miraculous. That's what they're expecting. They've heard about him. They've heard the stories, and now here he shows up. Now, he's going to do two great things in this story in Luke chapter 8, but the greatest thing is what he's going to teach us about faith through it. Look at verse 41. Just then, a man named Jairus came. He was a leader of the synagogue. He fell down at Jesus' feet and pleaded with him to come to his house because he had an only daughter, about 12 years old, and she was at death's door. So get the picture. The first kind of faith that we're going to see this morning, demonstrated by the the two main characters aside from Jesus in the story, the first kind of faith is, is a bold faith that steps up. This man, I think, anyway, seems to me like a very unlikely guy to approach Jesus in this way. He was a leader of the synagogue. Now, what that meant was that he was one of the guys who, who kind of ran the services. He, he wouldn't plan the order of worship, if you will. Okay, we're going to do this, and then we're going to do this, and this person is going to lead in prayer, and this person's going to uh, read scripture, and this person will preach today. He was that guy. Now, if you know anything about the Jewish religion, eventually it comes to light they don't much care for Jesus, Jesus was against the Jewish religious leaders, by and large, and yet here's a guy who was one of those Jewish religious leaders, an important man in the synagogue, and he comes to Jesus because he's desperate. Now, I, I, I can say from experience, and many of you can as well, either being the parent or being the child, there, there is nothing like the desperation of a parent for a child, There is nothing that parents won't do for their children. Some of you mamas in here become different people different people when somebody is coming after one of your kids. Literally, I mean, you're like one of the gremlins, you know what I'm saying? It's just, here you're a sweet little guy, and then all of a sudden, boom, here you go. And, you know, I mean, the claws come out and the fangs and everything else. You're going to come after them, aren't you? There's nothing you won't do for your kids. And listen, some of you, in a not-so-funny a sense, you've been through some difficult things with your kids. There's nothing you wouldn't give for your kids, this man, it seems, would understand. His daughter is dying. And, and there's nothing that seems like it can be done. He goes to maybe what he thought was his last hope. This Jewish rabbi, teacher guy who does some miracles. We don't know totally about him yet. And he goes and he falls down at the feet of Jesus. And he says, I, I, I need your help. My daughter is dying. His faith in Jesus' ability to heal is a bold faith. Even if he doesn't know everything about Jesus, this kind of faith steps up and says, you know what, I will trust in this man. I believe he can do something. He falls down at the teacher's feet in a very surrendering kind of faith. A faith that admits its own helplessness and powerlessness. Jairus was a man of great importance, but when it came to his daughter being at death's door, the scripture tells us he could do nothing. He was helpless. And in that moment, he recognized, I need the help of Jesus. It's a bold faith. Let me tell you this in order to follow Jesus, you must have bold faith that admits, I can do nothing for myself. I can do nothing. I am lost. As the song just said, we have hopelessly lost the way. I'm lost. I need Jesus. I will surrender and throw myself at his feet, boldly stepping up to say, Lord, I need you. We think often that strength is I can handle it myself. I will do this. I will take care of it. Watch me. The Bible tells us quite the opposite. That those who are the strongest are the ones who admit their weakness. And who say, I can't do this. I I can't live a good life. I I can't make up for my own sin. I need Jesus to do that. This man, desperate to see his daughter healed, knows that he can't do anything for himself. And so he goes to Jesus. And then look at the end of verse 42 in the next paragraph. While he was going, the crowds were nearly crushing him. Now, Now catch the first part. While he was going, what does he do in response to this man's bold faith? Jesus goes with him, doesn't he? Jesus doesn't deny the man and say, look, you don't even know what you're talking about. You don't know who I am. I, I, I've not come for these petty little things like this. He responds to the man's bold faith. There's an immediate reward for bold faith. Jesus, the very presence of Jesus goes with the man. And over and over in the Bible, we see this sort of thing. God responding to the faith of people. Over and over in the New Testament, if you were to look up all the times that Jesus responded to the faith of someone, he does it over and over and over. Now, as it goes on here at the end of verse 42, while he was going, the crowds were nearly crushing him, Jairus probably at this point thinks that, okay, his bold faith is about to pay off. His daughter is about to be healed by Jesus, but... As is often the case, we learn something else, don't we? Something more, something that, that we need to, to learn. There's something more that Jairus was going to learn, and there happened to be someone else with bold faith in the crowd that day. Look at the next verse. A woman suffering from bleeding for 12 years who had spent all she had on doctors yet could not be healed by any, approached from behind and touched the tassel of his robe. Instantly her bleeding stopped. So there's an interruption on the way to to this man's daughter. He approaches Jesus, says, I need you to heal my daughter. Jesus begins the journey to get to his house and there's an interruption uh, he stops this woman had some sort of bleeding issue and the medical bills had destroyed her financially she had she had spent every dime she could trying to find a solution and what does it say nobody could help her we don't fully know all the treatments that would have taken care of her, but we know that modern medicine, of course, would have probably alleviated her problem, but back then they didn't have a particular solution, and she spent everything. And, of course, this would have been an embarrassing thing for her. For 12 years, she's dealt with the same issue, and, 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 and for her, there's no escaping it. Everyone would have known that this woman has this particular problem. And not only would it have caused a physical problem, Certainly, emotional embarrassment, but it would have prevented her from participating in religious activities because, according to Jewish religion, she would have been unclean ceremonially. So she was an outcast all the way around, physically, emotionally, even spiritually. And she's desperate. But she's also bold because look what she does. She approached from behind and touched the tassel of his robe. Other, other gospels tell us that she thought to herself, maybe if I just touch his clothing, then I will be healed by this man. It's a bold faith that simply says, all I need to do is get close to this guy and he can do something for me. She reaches out. She touches the tassel of his robe. And at the end of verse 44, it says instantly her bleeding stopped. She's healed. In this case, a physical healing was the immediate reward for her bold faith. But but we go on. There's more. Look at verse 45. Who touched me? Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter, and, and if you don't know anything about the apostle Peter, he's the guy who says everything that everybody else is thinking. Okay, he's that guy. And so he probably looks around and all the disciples are like, who touched me? What? There's 500 people right around him. Peter, won't you say something? Like, okay, guys, you know, you know, a bunch of cowards. All right, I'll, okay, I'll say it. Peter says, uh, Master, the, the crowds are hemming you and he, hemming you in and, and pressing against you. Basically, What? You I mean who touched you? Everybody did. I mean, you know, here we are. We're trying to get you through the crowd. Imagine a big dignitary coming through, and everybody's trying to shake a hand. Everybody's trying to get close. Really? Somebody, somebody touched you. Okay. Uh, yeah, we'll find out who did that. I promise. We'll take care of that person. But this was no ordinary touch, was it? What, what does he say in verse forty-six? Someone did touch me," said Jesus. Why? Because I know that power has gone out from me. It, it was a touch, and he responded, his body, spiritually, physically, emotionally, responded to this touch of bold faith. His healing power had gone out from him in some way, and he knew it. And so he stopped. He, he could have just moved on. I mean, you know, after all, he's got this little girl that he's on the way to go heal, He could have just moved on and said, well, okay, well, hey, good for you, whoever that was. But he doesn't. The bold faith of this woman stopped him. And it's rewarded first with this power from Jesus. Now, now bear in mind that while all this is going on, that this synagogue official, Jairus, is still there somewhere. He doesn't say anything, at least as far as we have recorded, but I wonder what he was thinking at this point. Uh, Hey, I was first. Uh, It's cool, but let's keep moving. I doubt he was thinking very nice things at this point. He's thinking desperate things. Don't you care? I mean, that woman, you could have come back to her later on. My daughter... Is dying. It's time to move. Let's go. I wonder what he was thinking, and what we expect next is that Jesus will simply move on and say, "Okay, let's let's go." I, I understand. I'm in a rush here. I've got to get somewhere, or else bad things are going to happen. But that's not what happens. Look at verse 47. When the woman saw that she was discovered. She came trembling and fell down before him. In the presence of all the people, she declared the reason she had touched him and how she was instantly cured. Daughter, he said to her, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. In verse 47, we expect he's going to be on the way to heal the the, the girl. He stops longer. And he has an interaction with the lady. Everybody seems to know it's her, and so she's hoping maybe she can sneak away like she sneaked up on him. She sneaks away, but he's not going to allow that to happen. Why? Because he's going to recognize and call out this bold faith. He wants to use her as an example. Here's the kind of faith I'm looking for. Here's the kind of faith I'm going to reward. Somebody that steps up and says, I need Jesus. She's immediately afraid of what's about to happen. Did she do something wrong? Is he upset? Should she have just left him alone? Should she have tried the, the, the regular remedies that she'd been trying all along? Now she's going to be exposed in front of everyone. Her greatest fear. And so she approaches and bows down in front of him and in front of everyone. And she tells everybody, here's why I touched him. I've been bleeding for 12 years, and I've not ever been able to find a solution. This is an issue that has dogged me for for 12 years. You know how that feels, don't you? It may not be a physical issue. It might be emotional. It might be mental. It might be relational. It may be vocational. You've had something that has has been on you, has been a problem for you for a long, long time. And this woman says, my problem was that I had a a bleeding issue. And I... Couldn't find a solution. But in bold faith, she was able to tell them, I touched his robe and I was healed. This man took care of the problem that no one else could handle for me. He's the one. But even in that, in fear, she's not sure what his response will be. What's the first word he says to her? Daughter. We don't have very many occasions where Jesus refers to someone like this. It's a term of gentleness. It's a term that takes away fear. It's not an impersonal term. It's it's a welcoming, family-oriented term. That's one of love. Her bold faith that steps forward is met with gentleness and with peace. No more does she have shame. No more does she have to hide. Now Jesus has welcomed her and taken all that away. Your faith has healed you, he says. Go in peace. It's okay. You don't have to hide your faith anymore. Go live it out. Be bold in your faith. Now again, all the while, this man is standing there. The clock is ticking. His daughter was already in the process of dying. And then verse 49, while he was still speaking, someone came from the synagogue leader's house saying, your daughter is dead. Don't bother the teacher anymore. He's still with the woman, still talking with her. Jairus standing there for somewhere for the whole time, waiting, wondering, worrying. And then he gets the worst possible news. Your daughter, your daughter's dead. What, what you feared, what you, what you probably knew was going to happen, it, it happens. So just, just leave Jesus alone. There's nothing more that, that anybody can do. It's over. Maybe she could have been healed. Maybe he could have maybe done something for her, but now it's, it's too late. It's over. What he's about to learn is that not only did Jesus want and reward bold faith, but Jesus wants and he rewards patient faith hold, hold on jesus tells him just, just 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 hold on verse 50 when jesus heard it he answered him sorry dude should have gotten there a little sooner i'm sorry I'm sorry this happened to your family thoughts and prayers whatever what does he say to him don't be afraid. Only what? Believe and she will be made well. Jesus doesn't give him condolences. He simply says, don't be afraid. I know you're experiencing frustration and doubt and anxiety. I know you think that it's all over, but you don't know who I am. Jesus says, You don't know who I am. I know you think I'm too late, but you don't know who I am. He says, believe and keep on believing. Don't stop believing. There are many times when we wonder, don't we, in life, can I trust God? Can I trust the Word? I mean, is this really, really true? Will God really come through for me? Does God care? Why has He not done anything? What did I do wrong? Why did this happen to me? Why can't this be different or fixed? And just as Jesus looked at this man, I think he looks at you and he looks at me today. And he says to us, you, you don't have to be afraid. You, you don't understand who I am. Just believe. Keep on believing trust. No, lean in. Keep walking with me. Keep going toward what you think is hopeless. Jesus just takes this man on a journey back to his own house. You know what he's returning to? His dead daughter. All the while wondering, what are you talking about? It's over. I I appreciate your words and your condolences and your pick-me-up and don't be afraid. I get that, but she's dead. And Jesus just keeps walking with him. And I wonder if at times he had to carry him and he had to drag him along. I don't know. This man is distraught. I cannot imagine how he feels. Some of you have experienced this and you know what it's like. I can't imagine what he felt and what Jesus must have had to do for him to get him to go back to his house. Jesus says, just believe. I'll be there with you. Verse 51. After he came to the house... He let no one enter with him except Peter, John, and James, and the child's father and mother. Everyone was crying and mourning for her, verse 52, but he said, Stop crying, for she is not dead, but asleep. Now, who he takes in the house are the people whose faith he wanted to strengthen most right then. The folks that he wanted to show specifically, here's what I can do, here's who I am. And naturally, of course, as they approach the house, everybody's upset. A 12-year-old girl has died, tragically. Jesus points out, however, what's happening from his perspective. What? She's just asleep. Do you realize that death to Jesus is just sleep? He is more powerful than death. Do you realize that part of the reason that we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ is because we are celebrating that He, and by by vicarious interaction with Him, we have power over even death. Not even that is the end for us. That's what Jesus is telling them. For everybody else, it's over. Time to mourn, but not for Jesus. His perspective, if you haven't noticed this about him by now, his perspective is always different from ours, isn't it? It's always beyond what we can see, beyond what we can feel, beyond what makes sense to us. He says, Stop crying, have patient faith, hold on, I'm with you. Verse 53, they all started laughing at him because they knew she was dead. I mean, think about it. Think about the scene. This guy shows up, the girl has died. He says she's not dead. She's just sleeping. Got this. Okay. All right, buddy. Okay. They laugh at him. Like he's, she's dead. Okay. I mean, it, it, really, she is. We have checked her pulse. There is. There. She's not breathing. She is dead. We're not joking. This, we didn't, we're not saying, oh, you know, n- 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 she's dead. This was not, by the way, a setup so that Jesus could look like he could raise the dead. The girl's dead. He had no partners in this. Nobody's, no, there's no conspiracy theory to, to say, well, well, we'll make Jesus look like this. The gospel writer Luke, who, who, who was writing about this all after the fact, didn't write it in so that Jesus would appear to be able to work miracles. The girl's dead. And everybody laughs because they know. They weren't gullible. They knew she was dead. And they knew it was over. Anything other than that would be ridiculous even for this man who might have been able to do something ahead of time. And then verse 54. So he took her by the hand and he called out, "Child, get up." Her spirit returned and she got up at once. Then he gave orders that something be given, that she be given something to eat. Her parents were astounded because he but he instructed them to tell no one what had happened. He says, "Child, Get up! Now these are the same words that a mother might use to wake up her child in the morning, unless you have teenagers. Then you use different and more, you know, and louder words, right? Get out of bed, dude. Okay, seven thirty-five. You, have, you, have, we had to leave fifteen minutes ago. Get out of bed. My, my dad used to just go and he would just, just do this. He would stand there until I got up. That's a new one to try, by the way. It just saves your voice. You just, you know. This, this, these were the words for the smaller kids, okay? The kids that you know, they're, they're just tired. They're not lazy. They're just tired. And Jesus says in caring, loving, nurturing kind of way, get up. It's, it's time to wake up, essentially, is what he's saying. And without any incantations and chants and potions and magic spells and all of this stuff that somebody else might have tried, it's simply the word of Jesus that raises the dead. Amen. Isn't that something? It's his word. And that's how he works. He's God. And he raises the dead out of sin. One day out of the grave, immediately she's alive. That's the power of God. Her parents, it says, were astounded, naturally so. They, did not, they didn't believe this was even possible. After the fact, they did. But he instructed them to tell no one what had happened. And that's kind of weird, isn't it? And I'll tell you what, if I had done something like that, y'all would know about it. Seriously. We'd have, we'd have streamed it Facebook Live. Watch this. Jesus says, don't tell anybody what... Now, of course, he knows word is going to get out. I mean, he's not dumb. The girl was dead. Then later on, she's sitting there eating something. She walks out of the house. Hey, what's up? You know, all the people that are out there mourning and getting ready for her funeral are... You know, so it's not as if he's going to be able to keep it a secret. So, so what? What's he? What's he trying to do? Is oh, hey, you guys don't say anything about it. What he's trying to do is ultimately point to the fact. That, that he did not merely come to heal us physically, but one day, one day he's coming, or he will rather, not coming, he will heal us completely spiritually. He doesn't want the message to be mixed with ultimately with his, what his mission is going to be. He helps these people, he heals this woman, he raises this daughter, but it's all a preview. Hold on, he says. I'm not done yet, I'm not finished. This isn't the extent of what I can do. Listen, sometimes if we are honest, what we want from Jesus is just that stuff right there. Heal me. Make my life better. Lord, get me out of this tragedy. Lord, help me here and now. Right now. And Jesus saying, okay, I can do that, but I ain't finished yet. What he would ultimately do is go to the cross at Calvary, die for the sins of the world, three days later be raised again, and, and, and it's through all that. What does he say on the cross? Now what? It is finished. Who wasn't done yet. This was simply a preview of the power of God. Let me tell you this: anything that Jesus does in your life, anything that he rescues you from, is simply a, a, a preview of the ultimate thing he wants to do in your life, which is to save your soul for all eternity. He did not die. He did not come to this earth, die and was raised again so that we simply might have life better here on earth while we live. Although sometimes he does that for us, doesn't he? He ultimately came, lived, died, and was resurrected so that we might for all eternity be set free from the penalty and the power of our sin, which is our greatest need. And that's what he's saying to these folks. I ain't done yet. You ain't seen nothing yet. Jesus expects and rewards our faith. Bold faith. The kind that steps up and takes hold of him. It's rewarded with grace and with action on his part. Patient faith, the kind that that simply holds on no matter what, never gives up. It's rewarded with peace and promises fulfilled. So this week, no matter what I see, no matter what I feel, in my doubt, when I don't see a way, when I don't understand, I will choose faith. I will keep on believing. And in those moments, I will step up. And I will hold on and I will pray in those moments this week, Lord, increase my faith. Let me give you a new prayer to pray. Not God, heal me. Not God, do this. Not Jesus, do this for me. You may be praying those prayers, but put at the top of your list, Lord, increase my faith. And that will change your life. More than any healing, more than anything God could do for you, Lord, increase my faith. The Bible records an instance where a man says, Jesus, I believe, but help my unbelief. Increase my faith. Jesus rewards faith. He wants faith. Trust him this week. Some of us this morning need to step up and say, I believe in Jesus Christ. And I've been hiding from it. But today, I want to make it public that I am a believer in Jesus Christ. Many of you did that a few weeks ago when you were baptized. You say, you know what, I publicly identify with Jesus Christ. Somebody else may need to do that this morning and take hold of the free offer of grace and forgiveness he's given you. Others may simply need to hold on this morning and say, Lord, increase my faith right now because I'm struggling bold faith, patient faith. That's what He wants. That's what He rewards. Let's pray together.